As you find your seat, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 13 this morning. Exodus chapter 13, specifically verses 17 and following here of Exodus chapter 13. I ask you a question as you're turning in your copy of God's Word. I ask you the question, when was the last time that you got lost driving somewhere? Think about that. When was the last time that you got lost driving somewhere? It's just sort of wholly anecdotal here. I have no scientific sort of studies to prove this, but it seems to me, at least from, from my vantage point, that this, we might be living in the most difficult time to get lost in all of human history. I mean, if you just think about it, more and more vehicles come with, with pre-installed GPS systems so that technically you could put in your final destination right there in your driveway, and it could, if all things work right, lead you step-by-step to where you want to go. That, that could happen. Now, and, and now in the last five, ten years, you've got right there in your vehicle, you have uh, Waze or you have Google Maps right there at a tip of your thumb on your phone. And so you could technically uh, put in your final destination right there in your driveway through one of those apps, and it would, all things work right, get you right to your final destination. But uh, for those of you that are new to this world, that's not how life has been uh, at all. <laughs> and some of you know what it's like to get lost. There was a lot of fun in the adventure of driving when you weren't exactly sure how to get to your destination. There was also a good bit of anxiety that went with that also. When Daniel and I first started dating, we were both college students at our school that we attended, Mississippi College. There was a campus ministry called BSU, Baptist Student Union, and they had their, in that student ministry or that campus ministry, they had a thing that was called a sort of ministerial supply. So there were churches that would call the school, call the campus ministry, and the pastor was out for spring break, or they were between pastors, and young ministerial students, including myself, would hop in the vehicle, and off we would go. And Danielle has accompanied me. Bless her heart. She's had to listen to me preach for a long time. She has. And so she has sat through a lot of my sermons. And so at the age of 18 and 19, we would hop in the vehicle, and off we'd go. I was given directions to churches like Mount Pisgah Baptist Church and Beulah Baptist Church and Oftentimes, we would, we would be trying to navigate to those out-of-the-way churches. They're not small churches. This is completely aside, but I, I, I don't like that phrase, small churches. And I hear people say that sometimes. I grew up in a small church, or that's just a small church. And I always just remind some of, the, some of the most faithful men and women that I've ever met, that they worship with a faithful few Sunday after Sunday. And I think it's just a, a reminder that the, the same Spirit of God that, that dwells in the sanctuary that is filled with hundreds or dwells in the sanctuary that's filled with thousands, that that same Spirit of God inhabits the praises of a faithful few in, in whatever out-of-the-way church. <laughs> and the same Spirit of God that, that calls people to salvation, calls people to salvation in those churches. But I tell you this, sometimes they're hard to get to. And for me, as an 18, 19-year-old that wasn't familiar with some of those out-of-the-way towns, I did not know how to get there. I thought I did, but I would make my way real confident, 18, 19 years old, wanted to impress Danielle, you know, and uh, so I never, rarely ever wanted to stop for directions, but there's something about having a deadline, like if I'm not there, the church service is starting 
without me. And so I oftentimes had to go to a gas station, pull over, walk in, and there was a gas station attendant. And I would say, hey, can you help me get to fill in the blank, Mount Pisgah, you know, uh, Beulah Baptist Church. And oftentimes they would look at me with this sort of like quizzical look and say, yeah, I think I know where that church is. You need to go past the red light about a fourth of a mile and you're going to turn on County Road 450. And then they would say, hey, Janet, is it 457 where, where, where Beulah Baptist Church is? Or is it 489 where Beulah? And it's like 489. And so, okay, go, go a fourth of a mile, turn right on County Road, fill in the blank. You need to go four miles. Maybe it's not four miles. Maybe it's five miles. Maybe it's six miles. Now, listen, if you're driving down County Road 457 and you get to that house that's got a barn that's kind of crumbling in, you've gone too far. You've gone too far. But right there, when you get to that house, right before you get to that house, I don't know the name of the street right there, but you're going to turn left. Maybe it's not left, maybe it's right, but you're going to turn on the same side that the house is on where the barn is crumbling. But you don't get to the barn yet because if you've gone that far, you've gone too far. But right before you get it, if it's on your left, you turn left. If it's on your right, you turn right. And now, listen, I had the directions. I was confident of the directions until I got on that county road. And I don't know if you've ever been down. All of you have, I'm sure. But you know, there's something about going down one of those roads. you're five minutes in, you're 10 minutes in, I'd look over to Dania and I would say, I don't know. I don't know if this is the right way. I don't know if this is the right way. You ever been there? Oh, yeah, you're good. Good, I'm glad. Glad, a little bit of response right there. Now, listen, I always got there. Always got there. But I got there with a lot of doubt at times. At times, I would doubt the directions that were given to me at school. At times, I would doubt the directions that were given to me by the gas station attendant. At times, I would just doubt the veracity of the directions. And I I don't know if you've been lost recently in your vehicle, but I'm sure that all of us here in this sanctuary know what it's like to be following the directions of the Lord. And at times, we ask not for His direction. At times, we don't listen well to His direction. And often, we don't follow his directions. So maybe it's a long time since you've been lost on County Road fill in the blank. But you know what it is to not listen well to the directions of the Lord. All of us know what it's like to not ask for his direction. But one of the great things, although we might doubt Uh, the truthfulness of the directions that are given to us. We never have to doubt the direction of the Lord. We never have to wonder, is he sure of where he's leading us? Is he sure of where he's guiding us? There's a wonderful illustrative story right here nestled away in, in the word of God in Exodus chapter 13 that reminds us of God's direction in your life and in my life. We find it right after that last sign that God gives to the Egyptian people and to the Hebrew people. You remember, he's he's showing his glory to the Egyptians through these ten signs that he provides through his people here. Turns the Nile River in the first into blood, the final one that, that loosens the grip of Pharaoh himself upon God's people is the death of the firstborn child of every person in that Egyptian empire who would not offer a sacrifice of an unblemished lamb and smear the blood of that sacrifice upon the very door frames of the house. The angel of death swoops through Egypt, and where the blood doesn't cover the homes, there is death that occurs to the firstborn child. And that death gripped the heart of Pharaoh himself. 
The most powerful person in the land has to kneel before the God who controls life and death. He calls Moses and Aaron to him. He says, get out. Had enough. Take your herds with you. Take your children with you. Get out of here. You pick up the story in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 17 as God gives direction to His people as they leave Egypt when Pharaoh let the people go, we read. God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God, verse 18, led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear. This is sort of an allusion back to the end of the book of Genesis here, saying, God will surely visit you and shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on, the Hebrew people. They moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. There are two truths from this passage that I want you to hold on to this morning. The first truth we discover here in verses 17 through 20, and this is a truth I want you to hear, I want you to see, I want you to be comforted by, and that is that God is always sure of the direction for His people. God is always sure of the direction for His people. Now, there's a sort of an obscure easy-to-miss sidebar here in verse 17. Did you see it? Look again with me in verse 17. God did not lead His people the way of the Philistines. Now, that can be confusing to us because the Philistines aren't actually encamped in that land yet. So this is a a foreshadowing of the Philistines occupying this land uh, years down the road. But what we discover here is that who is occupying the land? There is a battalion of the Egyptian military force that the, the Hebrew people would not know, but they're going to come into contact with. Well, God knew that. Moses didn't, but God did. And he knew that that these people, they're ready for battle, but they're not ready for battle. They think they are. This beleaguered people that have been through so much, 430 years of Egyptian captivity, they're not ready to take on the military might of the Egyptian empire. God knew that if they meet the Egyptian empire so soon after God has set them free, they would say, see you later. It's definitely better in Egypt than to fight to our death here. And so, lest they change their mind, God leads them in an out-of-the-way, obscure way out of Egypt to get the Hebrew people to the destination of where He's going to ultimately lead them to the promised land here. This is not the direction that you would want to go. You actually, I mean, you've got thousands of people here, so it's hard to estimate how long it would take. But the, the better way to go north would be a way that would take weeks, maybe a month or so. Quick direction. Quick there with thousands of people. But the way that God is going to lead them, instead of north is south, they're, they're Egyptian papyruses that we have found that talk about how Hebrew slaves escaped Egypt and they go the way of the Maurice, the, the Via Maurice, the, the way of the sea. That was the way they should have gone. It would have been north, but actually God takes them the opposite direction. He takes them south. And His detour in the mind of the Hebrew people is actually His protection upon them. 
His out-of-the-way directions out of Egypt is actually his grace toward his people because they're not ready to face an Egyptian battalion here. So he sends them south, which wasn't the surest way. It wasn't the shortest way. It wasn't the cleanest way. It wasn't the most direct way. It was the long and windy road is what he took them on. You remember that Paul McCartney Beatles song, The Long and Windy Road that leads home. It's been playing in my mind because I think so often as the Hebrew people are are living out those lyrics, you know what it is to live out the lyrics of the long and windy way that God leads you to the home of his destination, of the will of God for you. Oh, it's it happens. It, it, It happens. When we're following God, we're asking him for his direction. We're seeking his direction. We're looking into his word. We're asking other Christians to help us discern. And there are times where we think, God, I'm pretty sure you need to take us north. And he takes us south. You've been there before. Where you feel that God's best will and best way for you is to take you in one direction. And actually he takes you in the opposite direction. It happens. I mean, it's a job promotion you're 100% sure you deserve and that you will get. But for whatever reason, that door shuts. You thought you were supposed to go north? And he takes you south. There's an admissions letter that you're so excited to be able to give. You, you, you were longing, you're 100% sure that graduate program was the best program for you. You haven't checked mail in, in, in what seems to be months, but they send you this admissions letter. You go to the mailbox, you open it up, and the admissions letter getting you into the perfect graduate program is actually a rejection letter. You wanted to go north, and God takes you south. The one... The girl that you were 100% sure was the the dream person of your life that God had put in your life, the husband-to-be that you were 100% sure was God's person for you, ends up becoming an engagement that breaks off, a relationship that breaks off. You say, God, I was supposed to go north. You're taking me south. Do, Do you trust God's detours in your life? Do you trust that the best place for you to be is going south when you thought you were supposed to go north? Do you trust that he is sovereign even over the doors that he shuts in your life? Do you trust that he is good and that for his glory, that his detours, just like for the Hebrew people, can actually be his grace and his protection in your life? Do you trust him to lead you on that long and windy road that leads you to the home of his will for your life? Sometimes doors shut, and they're the best thing that can possibly happen in our lives. In 1976, there was a 22-year-old aspiring TV reporter in Baltimore that's brought in by our executive producer and is fired. His words to her were, you're way too emotionally invested in your stories and the subjects of your stories. His exit interview words to her were simply, you're unfit for television news. As a consolation prize, sort of as as giving her a little bit of hope, he he gives her a a small role part in a daytime TV show in Baltimore. And would you know it, that, that her being fired at 22 years old 
actually opened the door for the career of Oprah Winfrey. You know, sometimes a shut door is the best thing that can happen in your life. You thought you were supposed to go north, and he takes you south. A few weeks ago, I was with someone who had been in a company, a large company, for almost 30 years of his life, vested in every way. It was a merger that meant that his boss called him in and said, I'm sorry, but there's no future that you have here. Absolutely devastated. But he was telling me years later, as he was looking back upon the worst day of his life, that always in the back of his mind, he had this dream of going in this professional direction that he never had the courage to, to walk in. But, but that day, that moment where his career ended the worst day of his life, it propelled him, it forced him to go into something that was always lingering in the back of his mind. And looking back over five years, it was the worst day that ultimately opened a pathway to, to what he is living now and God's direction for his life, that he is sure that God closed and ultimately opened in that same day. Do you trust that God's big enough to do that in your disappointments? Do you trust that he's big enough to take those detours and to lead you to the very center of his will and his purpose for your life? Note with me that in this passage here, God is always sure there's direction for his people. But note also in this passage that God is always available to God as people. I, I love the vivid imagery that we're going to read of here in verses 21 through 22. The Lord went before them by day. Who is them? It's the Hebrew people coming out of Egypt in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. We've already seen that God appears to Moses. Chapter 3, verse 10, he leads him to the far side of the wilderness. There as a fire, he appears in the burning bush. So we already see the manifestation of God through fire. But what we're going to discover is, is he's going to use the cloud by day. In chapter 16, He's got to give them a menu of manna in the wilderness, and he descends to them and the cloud by day to deliver that menu to them. He's going to lead Moses in chapter 19 to Mount Sinai. He's going to give the law to the people, the Ten Commandments to the people, and he appears to Moses in the appearance of fire. In chapter 40, they're going to build the tabernacle that God tells them to build. And guess what? God descends upon the tabernacle, and his presence is there through the cloud. So what we discover is this is a hinge passage that, that connects the beginning of this story to the end of the story. We can imagine this young mother with a, with a three-year-old that's sort of toddling beside her, hanging on to her legs, saying, I'm tired, Mom. You can imagine that mom, weary at night, wanting to sit down, honing her newborn baby in her arms. My toddler looks up at her and says, Mom, are we sure we're going in the right direction? Mom, are we sure that God told us to do this? Can you imagine the, the comfort of this mother to say, Hey, son, do you see that fire? Do you see that fire? 
That fire is none other than God himself leading us. Can you imagine the assurance of this mother? Can you imagine the assurance of all of the Hebrew people to know that the Lord himself is leading them by the cloud by day and the fire by night? I love the way verse 21 emphasizes this in the section. And the Lord went before them by day. God could have. I mean, he's sustaining the universe. He creates the universe. He's going to bring about his redemption through his son. He could have said, I've got enough on my plate. Gabriel, Michael, somebody come here. You're going to be my angelic ambassador, and you're going to go before the people. And as long as they see you, they will know where to go. But he doesn't do that. He does not delegate his direction for his people's lives. He doesn't delegate it nor does he delegate his direction in your life. And this is the wonderful promise for every Christian that is here this morning, that when you trust Jesus as your Savior, the cloud by day and the fire by night dwells inside of you through the work of the Holy Spirit. And the same direction that goes before the Hebrew people is the same direction that he desires through his word and his spirit to offer you. I love John 14, 17. John 14, 17, that says the Holy Spirit lives with you and will be in you. So the same God, through the pillar of fire and the cloud by day, is the same God that is dwelling in you through His Holy Spirit. And you, Christian, can be led by the Spirit. You can receive direction from the Spirit. At times we are hesitant to talk about being led by the Spirit. At times we're hesitant to, to talk about the direction of the Spirit because we, we've heard at times people talk about being led by the Spirit and we get nervous about what they're talking about. It's not about receiving revelations from the Lord that contradict His Word. It's not about receiving revelations from the, from the Lord that, that are on uh, par with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. No. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, it means just as The Hebrew people were set free from bondage out of Egypt. So you, Christian, are set free from the bondage of of Pharaoh himself. His name is Satan. Of Egypt itself, it's the world. The very bondage of slavery is called sin. And that same God that set his people free is the same God that desires to set you free and that you can walk in obedience through his work in your life. Of course, there are times we don't ask him. Of course, there are times that we don't listen. But that same spirit desires to lead you. And when we walk with the spirit, it isn't this ethereal, mysterious, kind of in the ether type of experience only for the super unleaded Christians. But the regular unleaded Christians, we don't have any kind of experience with that. It's only for the the super pious. No, you as a follower of Jesus receive all the Holy Spirit and all the Holy Spirit desires to lead you. And as you're walking in the Spirit, He leads you to resist temptation. Every time that sort of the siren song of sin whispers in your ear and you resist the tempter, and as the Bible says, if you resist, The devil, he must flee. Every time you do that, you know what you're doing? You're walking in the Spirit. You're being led by the Spirit. 
Do you know what it means to walk in the Spirit on Monday? It means when you, when you walk into the office tomorrow and there's somebody that is going through a difficult day and, and you show them grace and you show them love and you're salt and light, you know what you're doing in that office place? You're being, you're being led by the Spirit. Mom and Dad, you know what you're doing Wednesday night when, when you're tired? It's been a long day for you. Uh, the, the kids are a little unruly. You're trying to uh, get baths done, trying to get them to the bed. And, and at the end of the day, they don't want to listen to anything you're saying. But in that moment, as best you can, not perfect, of course, but as best you can, you show patience. You know what you're doing? You're walking in the Spirit. You're being led by the Spirit. When you go out to eat at the end of the service, maybe you go to a restaurant, and there's a waiter, there's a waitress that's waiting on you, and you show kindness to him or her, you know what you're doing? You're walking in the Spirit. You're being led by the Spirit. You know what you do each and every day where you deny self and you take up the cross and you seek to follow Him? You are walking in the Spirit. You're being led by the Spirit. We think of this in these grandiose terms. but The Spirit of God wants to lead us in each of our steps each and every day. So my question to you is, Are you asking for His direction? Are you listening for His direction? And are you following His direction? I mean, go back with me. I stop at the gas station. I'm asking for direction. There's sometimes in life where we don't humble ourselves to ask for direction. And sometimes in life, we have this grandiose thought, this cocky thought, this arrogant thought, I know the best way to go. I don't need anybody's direction. And there's some of us that have that spiritual hubris that are here this morning that we think that we're the captain of our ship. We're the maker of our fate. But if you're a follower of Jesus today, are you submitting yourself to the one who desires to lead you? Are you asking him for his direction each and every day? Are you seeking him in prayer? Are you seeking him in the word? Oftentimes, we feel directionless because we're not asking the Lord for direction. You know that wonderful passage in the Gospels, we have not because we what? Ask not. Are you asking God on a daily basis to guide you in your marriage? To guide you in your parenting? To guide you in the everyday individual responses that you have and interactions that you have with a neighbor or a coworker? Are you asking Him for direction? Are you listening to Him for direction? I'm always reminded at times that, that there are things that we can be exposed to that we actually don't listen to. There are things that we hear that we're actually not internalizing. If any of you raise children, you know what it is to give a command. You know what it is to tell them to clean up their room and they hear the words that are coming out of your mouth, but they do not listen to you. And they say what? What did you say? Huh? Huh? Huh, mom? Huh, dad? I wonder if we say a lot of huh to God we're not listening to him in his word. We're asking him for direction. And he says, I've given it to you in the word. Are you listening to my voice through prayer? Are you listening to my voice in the word? And finally, are we asking, are we listening, and are we following? You can have the most detailed directions given to you. You you can have the most perfect GPS system telling you what to do, but if you mute the direction, 
If you lose the sheet of paper, you can't follow the directions. And I wonder if there's some of us in our life that have muted the voice of God in our life and we're not following His Word. We're not following His direction. We're called not to be just hearers of the Word, but we're called to be doers of the Word. Are you asking Him for direction? Are you listening for His direction? And are you, in the Mondays of your life, in the Tuesdays of your life, in the nitty-gritty of the details of your life, are you following His direction? Praise God that He never leaves us directionless. Let us pray. So it is God that in this moment we want to bow before You and respond to Your Word. If you're here in this sanctuary, if you're watching this worship service and worshiping with us from home, would you take this moment to just bow your head and to talk to God? Maybe to admit to Him that this last week you, you've not consulted Him for His direction. You've not asked Him for His guidance. This has been a wordless week. Never once opening the Word of God. Or maybe you've opened the Word, but you're really not listening to the Word. It's in your eyes and not in your life. Would you admit to Him that you're not following Him today? And would you ask for His grace this very week to forgive you and to propel you forward in obedience as you seek to follow Him. So God, forgive us when we do not ask. Forgive us when we do not listen. And forgive us when we do not follow. Give us your grace to ask for your direction. Give us your grace to listen to your direction. And give us your grace this week to follow your direction in every aspect of our life. And when we think we should go north and you take us south, may we trust that your detours are the best way to your divine destination. May we trust when our way doesn't match with the way that you're leading us, that your way is the best way. Let us see our doubts and disappointments and detours as your grace and your protection. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus.